Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. Gloria is a 40-year-old female, and she's here for follow-up of her depression today. She's been on sertraline 100 milligrams for 18 months and so far has had no side effects. You have increased her dose a few times. You started her at 50, then up to 75, and then up to 100 three months ago because of her residual symptoms. Gloria is able to work and participate in her life but her early morning awakenings, her occasional sadness and tearfulness have become bothersome. She enjoys her family and friends and in general is pleased with how the medications are helping. You have recommended counseling, but she's too busy to go. She's tried in the past as well and didn't find much benefit. She asks you, I have several friends on other medications and they are all doing better. Do you think I should switch? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to talk about depression and remission is Dr. Susan Feeney, Assistant Professor and Director of the Family Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Frank. Gloria and her depression yes. and her persistent depression symptoms are pretty common. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of helping patients and treating them and getting them into remission from their depression? Right. Well, it turns out that in, that's, this is a big concern in uh, the United States specifically, that people who are diagnosed with depression um, and are in treatment, either with medication um, or with uh, therapy, many of them don't get to full remission. And what does that mean? It means they have some bothersome symptoms like Gloria has. So that they'll say to you, I'm better, you know, I'm sleeping okay. But when you really drill down, well, I'm waking up early in the morning. I'm kind of sad. I'm not, I've cut back a little bit on my activity. So they're really not, as we say, euthymic. They're not at, they're not in remission. And what happens or what can happen is sort of a cascade of let's change medicines like she said you know we're keep increasing her meds but we can't get her to remission and um you know this this is a real burden on on patients because medications are not even though she said she's not having any side effects there are side effects there are complications that can occur and we have some data that says that you know therapy by itself or therapy in conjunction with medication is superior than medication alone. Okay, so uh, you've talked about that there's these challenges and, and, and help, and, and I totally uh, would have escalated her dose of meds and, and been focusing maybe on the wrong thing. Right. Talk a little bit about residual symptoms. You said early morning awakenings and a bit of tearfulness. Any other residual symptoms we should be looking for? Sure. Well, all the things that we look at to diagnose depression, we really, those need to be back at a baseline or what we would call euthymia. So we want them to be sleeping at a, you know, six to eight hours without waking up early morning or have trouble falling asleep. We want their appetite good. We want their energy levels up. We want their interest in activities that they used to be able to do. And so the things that we would ask them about to determine whether they have depression, we need to be looking at that every time they come. Because if you ask, and this is very common, I'll say to patients, how are you feeling? Oh, much better. Well, that doesn't give us a lot of quantitative data. What does that mean? Well, in general, I'm better. And if you drill down, well, no, I'm really not sleeping very well. And that may not be depression, but it may be. And so 
what happens is is they have this sort of you know boiling or, or simmering ter- turmoil there that can then escalate and it clearly she is not feeling the true effects of remission and so number one we need to do a better job at really drilling down on our patients when they're being treated for depression or anxiety are they symptom free well all right so we, we now realize that there's a fair amount of residual symptoms in when, when primary care treats um, depression right what are some strategies that we can use to help improve that remission rate well we've known for a long time that um, therapy whether it's cognitive behavior therapy or talk therapy that therapy either by itself or in conjunction with medication is more successful in remission and getting people to remission than just medication alone. Um, but I believe because we live in a, uh, a quick fix kind of society and people say, I want to take a pill and you know, it's work just like physical therapy for back pain, you know, going to therapy is work and it's costly. People have to pay a therapist and it's, it's emotional. Like she said, I didn't really like, I didn't feel like it was a good fit. And so we are really sub treating where, you know, we're not treating effectively. And so what happens is you get this escalation in medication, dosing, um, you know, I, you know, someone might say, well, put her a little bit on some, some bupropion, you know, give some adjunctive therapy here, or maybe we'll take her off and put her on a Fexer. That's not, that probably isn't the answer. The answer would be to get her into some kind of a therapeutic relationship or, or a therapy situation to really get to the, to help her with her, with her depression. Okay. So is there any data that shows drugs plus therapy is better than drugs alone or therapy alone? There's actually was a recent study that looked at uh, 460 people. It was out of Kaiser Permanente in uh, Colorado. And they had what they called standard depression therapy and then standard depression therapy with mindful mood balance, uh, which was a depression uh, CBT or cognitive behavior therapy app. And what they found is, and this really is part of previous uh, data as well that we have, that people got better with a combination of medication and the cognitive behavior therapy, um, or just therapy itself, than just medication alone. So medication alone was inferior to Correct. therapy alone Correct. or the combination of the two. And so what it seems to be sort of focusing in, and cognitive behavior therapy is very effective at this, is retraining thinking. So right from the article, they say that, you know, what does what does mindful mood balance do? It then this is a this is a, a, a quote disengage from habitual automatic dysfunctional cognitive patterns which makes you vulnerable to relapse and that's it gives them tools you know medication and we all we all have patients who really benefit from medication I'm not I'm not saying don't treat people with antidepressants but it's not going to help them deal with how to respond to the triggers that they have you know it might blunt their response, but we have data now that shows that this can be really effective. Um, what do you think about uh, the technology they used? Was it easy to access? Was it? I, I like the fact that it's something that you can do on your own time rather than um, patients having to make appointments and right. so forth. And I don't know about you, but this is the biggest pushback I get from patients is I don't have the time. I've, I went, I didn't like the guy I was talking to, or why can't I just talk to you? Mm-hmm. I always hear that. This particular app uh, really simulated what would be face-to-face cognitive behavior therapy. They sort of had a lot of um, online 
quote unquote FaceTime, they had um, an orientation, then there was a couple of phone calls, but then they got them involved with actual therapy using their phone. And for the most people, the 260 people who were in the, uh, in the intervention arm did most of the eight sessions over the 12 weeks, and there was a significant improvement in their um, response to their depression and, and loss of, of those residual symptoms as opposed to people getting standard therapy. And what is so nice about this is that it's, they can use it whenever they want. It's their own schedule. It gives them control. And it really falls into a lot of the data we've been looking at, that that sort of self-regulation, being able to use it when they need it, um, is much more beneficial than that sort of setting people up for appointments. How did it do cost-wise? You know, obviously if they were in the study, the study paid for the cost, but this particular app is a little pricey. It can be anywhere from 200 to $400 for the first three months, and then it's $10 every month after. But there are some free apps as well. The thing that made this very interesting is it really simulated the CBT face-to-face. And, um, and so if you, what they showed in the study is they looked at what would it cost to go to a therapist. People have co-pays, people have deductibles, and they found that this was actually cheaper if, for fo- folks who were insurance. I believe that completely. I mean, um, having gone to therapy on more than one occasion <laughs> in my life, it becomes very expensive. And right. Insurance rarely covers it or covers it well. Um, and uh, ha- being able to do it on my schedule instead right. of at the end of a long day right. um, is terrific. Well, and the other thing about this is most insurances will pay for 10 to 12 sessions, right? So at the beginning, you may go, you may go twice a month. Well, you're, you may be through with your benefit within three to six months. This would be, you can use it as much as you want for $10 a month. I'm not, I'm not promoting this particular app, but there are apps out there that really can be effective for patients and help them help them get to remission and improve the quality of their life. We'll have the link to the software as well as the article on our landing page as well as some other app suggestions uh, for you to recommend for patients. Susan, thank you very much. You are so welcome. Practice pointer. For patients with depression, before increasing dose or adding or changing medications, look at adjuvant therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy either in person or online as data shows, including CBT, improves outcomes over medication alone. Join us next time when we talk about the current data on concussion in young athletes. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast, and see you next week.